0: Hello and welcome to Shame Spiral. I'm Ellie Kremendahl and my guest today is Michelle T. She is an author, a novelist, and a memoirist. She's a literary organizer. She is my friend and I am going to launch right into my shame check-in for this week because unfortunately it is about this episode. Here's the thing. I'm pretty new to podcasting. It's been going pretty well. I don't know what happened with this recording, but my sound is pretty bad. I'm not going to lie to you all. It's it's bad. I think that my amazing audio engineer, Sarah, made it digestible, consumable, hopefully still enjoyable, and for that, I thank you, Sarah, but it's not great i cannot say it's great however michelle's audio is crystal clear and i decided to continue on releasing this episode because i feel like it's a special one we share things about our relationship that has made us shame spiral she told literally one of the funniest stories i've ever heard in my life for her her main event shame story And it just could not be recreated. I feel pretty confident about that. So here it is. I'm going to let it be. But I am definitely spiraling about it, you guys, because I like things to be perfect. I'm a horrible perfectionist. I don't like people to see the ways that I fuck up. And I did, and I wish I knew why. I do not know what happened. I'm so disturbed by it and I pray that it never happens again. I will say, <laughs> I will say after going through the episode and editing, if you listen for a while, if you guys hang in there, you will get used to my horrible audio. So give it a whirl. See if you can get desensitized to the weirdness of what my voice sounds like. Michelle's, again, glorious, perfect, crystal clear. So uh, that's all. I'm like all hot just talking about it. I can't lie to you. I feel so embarrassed. And then I feel embarrassed on top of the embarrassment about spiraling about it. Like I should be cool. I should be chill. I shouldn't care that it's not a perfect episode, but I do. (sighs) That's all. I need to end this right now. So The next time I talk to you, Michelle, I'm going to admit that I have a new shame to share with you, which is the fact that I slightly butchered our episode and you deserve better. But nonetheless, here it is. Let's start spiraling with Michelle T. Shame,
1: burning in my brain, always in a frame, and I've only myself to blame.
2: Shame Wishing I could forget my name And crawl back up from where I came I'm
1: going down the spiral once again the Shame
2: Spiral
1: Hi, Michelle. Hi. <laughs> Hi. are you it going? It's good. How are you? I'm so glad you're here.
2: I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on your shameful show. It's so... Amazing.
1: We hadn't talked in so many years and now this is going to be the second time we've had an in-depth conversation in two months, but
2: just via podcast. I know it's like zero to like super intense. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how but I, I like, like that it. That even our friendship when we were living in the same city. A hundred percent. It was like, we were like, Hey, what's up? And then just like hung sp- out all the time. TMI yes. zone immediately. Yeah. I know. It's just totally. how we are. <laughs> okay. So
1: the first question I have for you is, mm-hmm. You know, this is a podcast about shame. We're going to be talking about all the things that make you spiral. So, and I know you're someone who is familiar with sharing intimate stuff. So I don't, you know, I'm less worried for you than I have been for other folks. But where's your anxiety at one to 10 right now about going into this conversation and talking about your shame?
2: I mean, it's actually, I don't feel very anxious. I don't even think I feel anxious at all, actually. (laughs)
1: I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Great. So is it a zero?
2: It might be a zero. I mean, except like I have an anxiety disorder, so it might always be at a one, even with meds. I get that. It's probably not zero.
1: Well, it's also everyone's baseline is so different. Yes. Like I have an anxiety disorder too, but when my psychiatrist is like, how's your anxiety? I'm always like, it's fine, but fine- i I'm also on meds and have been for a long time, but fine for me is probably like five. I don't, I'm not sure.
2: You're like, it's no, I'm functioning. Yeah. I'm what functioning am- and everything feels familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. What anxiety disorder do you have? Just gad, just your generalized oh. <laughs> anxiety disorder. <laughs> nothing, nothing fancy. Yeah, okay. nothing fancy. Yeah.
1: Just basic anxiety.
2: Basic anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right.
1: So it's at a zero. That's awesome. Yeah,
2: I think so. I mean, yeah, we'll see. It, it could it could shift. I'm expecting peaks and valleys throughout the conversation, honestly. But right now, I feel okay.
1: The really evil part of me inside is like, oh, let's see if we can pump it up. Which that's so fucked up. What's wrong with me?
2: <laughs> is this your goal for this podcast? I'm, like, oh, no. I'm just gonna get my guests. <laughs> so sadistic. So emotionally sadistic. I know. I do have. little bit of
1: that maybe it's because you know i'm also a therapist so when i with my patients like i have to be so well behaved and talk about all my very human impulses that come up in supervision so i don't enact any of it on them because that would be really unethical and horrible so maybe part of what i am enjoying about this podcast is i can just not I mean, it's not like I don't
2: care about you, or but the these people. ethics don't
1: apply. In they this scenario. don't apply, and I get to share things. It's really liberating.
2: Oh, I love that. I know. I was thinking, you know, when I was thinking about this earlier, when I was like observing my carousel of shame and trying to decide which horse I was going to jump on, I was just like, oh yeah, Ellie's a therapist. <laughs> Like, yeah. How is this going to play into all of this? Will I feel <laughs> less shame afterwards? Will I be counseled through my shame? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe accidentally. You're not on the clock though. I don't expect that of you. I'm not on the clock, but
1: I am finding it hard to, I, I've been a therapist for so long that it's also integrated at this point. And I, I also think the reasons I became a therapist, they're just part of, I just always want to have conversations like this with people. Yeah. So it's not really very compartmentalized. It's just mm-hmm. kind of me all the time.
2: Totally. I get that. You have a desire to like process. Yeah. I, love I process. do too. I really, yes. I really like that. Yeah. Me
1: too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the first thing we're going to do is play the shame game where I'm going to ask you a few questions about which thing would make you spiral more. Okay. And then we're both going to answer. Okay. Okay. Here's the first one, which would make you spiral more? Finding out that someone you really respect and admire called you boring or finding out that someone you really respect and admire said that you were way too overwhelming?
2: Oh, I think boring, boring would. Yeah. What was overwhelming. That? I just feel like, I don't know, maybe it's because I feel like I know people have thought that I've, I'm overwhelming. <laughs> I've lived through it. And I'm like, well, you're not my person. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I like figured that equation out, but, but I don't know, hearing like, I don't know. Like Eileen Miles called me boring or something like that. I would just be like, I've failed. I have failed in some crucial way. And I need to, I need to get it together. And I don't know what that would look like. Like, how do you make yourself more exciting? I mean you can't because that is. You know, like that's also a harder thing to solve, isn't it? It's like, okay, you're too overwhelming. Okay, like I understand how to tone it down, kind of right. Like you just are you just shut up, (laughs) I guess, right? (laughs) (laughs) But like how to be less boring, I don't know. And also, I probably do have like secret insecurity. Well, not not necessarily secret. Well, certainly now not secret. Uh, that I am bo- in fact boring.
1: You know. You do. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Like what? Where? What's that secret like?
2: I don't know. I think. Um, I think it might have. I mean. Part of the thing part of where I can trace it is stupid like really clearly stupid and ins- like from getting sober and that thing that I think a lot of people go through when they get sober and they're like I'm boring now because you mm-hmm. thought that like excitement was getting wasted mm-hmm. and that like getting wasted was the key that opened like the door to excitement and so now you're boring so it might be a little bit of that um but then realistically I think my I think I am more my life is more boring than it once was you know as if you're talking about just like pure thrills and chills actually I don't know though. I I have a pretty thrilling life. You do. It's just, but again, it's not rational, right? Like I can look at my life and be like, nothing about this is boring. Um, But it's like a, yeah, it's an, I mean, insecurities aren't necessarily rational. And what does
1: wildness even mean?
2: What does wildness mean? I guess for me, I want to feel free. And so I guess even just like being like tethered to a child makes me feel less free. Hence, perhaps more boring. I still manage to like do a lot of fun stuff that keeps me like very tickled.
1: I think that for a long time, I confused chaos with thrills and excitement. And like, yeah. if, if there wasn't chaos, my life was boring. Um, and I had that, a similar experience when I first got sober. So we both have really long-term sobriety and of like, Oh my God, my life is so boring now. It used to be so exciting, but really it was just chaotic.
2: Like, yeah, it was very chaos. true. Fights, drunk fights, Mm -hmm. coming back from drunk fights the next day, trying to figure it out, just like all that stuff. But I also remember getting sober and being like, I've never sat on the couch couch and watched so many movies. (laughs) I know because in San Francisco there was always a place to go every single night. You know, there's like a, and I did for like years. I went out every single night, which seems so exhausting right now. But so then when I got sober, I was suddenly like not doing that, and I was watching a lot of movies, and I was like is this, is this okay? Is this normal? Is this normal?
1: Yeah. I remember really tripping out when I first got sober about the actual experience of sitting on the couch and watching a movie without being high or having at least like a few glasses of wine, like uh, actually watching it. Um, I remember having a moment of like, Oh my God, I feel like this is what I was like in seventh grade where I was truly watching something and it was making me laugh or making me feel sad. And it was so pure. That. That's so <laughs> yeah. cute. That's very it was, sweet. It was cute and sweet. It really was. I wasn't feeling myself that first year of sobriety. I was kind of high on it, to be totally honest.
2: Well, it's a good thing. It's probably what kept you sober. Yes. That's true. You know what I mean? I felt, I feel like I was a little high on sobriety at first, too. And yeah. I'm grateful for it.
1: Me, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my mine would also be boring. That is my worst nightmare for someone that I respect. And like, want to like me to think I'm boring. I feel like that's like the worst thing that anybody can think about me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
2: But you're too, you're way too weird to ever be boring. One of my like core shame things
1: that I've never really let go of is in seventh grade. I was in the locker room at gym class and I overheard some of the like cool girls being like, yeah. Ellie, like one of them was sticking up for me. Like we should be friends with her. And then the other two were like, yeah, I guess. But she's kind of just like nice. That's it. Just nice. And I, it was the worst.
2: They didn't know you because you didn't want to be overwhelming. I did not want to be (laughs) overwhelming. So you toned it down and then you were nice. I think so. I think so. I was a good girl.
1: I had a real good girl complex too for Mm. a long time. Okay. Let me ask you the next question. I thought of this one particularly because you're also a mom so I thought this would be fun for us to talk about which would make you spiral more your kid being a total destructive maniac in a very public place and getting you getting so angry and just screaming at him and behaving in a way that you don't feel good about or your kid doing the exact same thing but instead you get really overwhelmed and shut down and kind of do nothing and like, let the chaos just happen.
2: Wow. I think the first scenario would be more embarrassing because the being shut down, it it feels, it almost feels like more like closer to like what you would want to do, which is, I mean, I don't know, like, cause Mm. you can't, what do I want to say? It's like, I've, my kid did do some crazy public tantrums when he was a toddler, um, like really gnarly. And he has an Aries rising, so he was very physical and he would hit. And, and he always had, you know, when they have those little razor nails, those little infant toddler razor sharp nails. And he freaked out one time at the Americana, which is this like outdoor mall in Glendale. Mm-hmm. It's very Southern California. He freaked out. It was like the holiday season, maybe. It was packed there. And I had to like chase him through a crowd and then like subdue him. And he was like scratching my face off. Like I had 17 wounds all over my face. Afterwards. It looked like I'd been battered. It was so intense. Oh and I was just trying to like hold him, you know, and he would get loose and he's screaming. And I think I, I mostly kept it together, but I did get in his face at one point, And I said, cut the shit. I channeled my mother. <laughs> totally. Cut the shit. And he looks stunned for a second because I've never done that before or since. Like I've never swore, sworn you know. I never you know cursed at him. I don't point in his face and like say hard. I don't just. It's like that's not how I parent. Yeah. Um. So being shut down almost looks like you're just so like I could imagine that almost being akin to like I've let go and let God. <laughs> like yeah. This kid will spiral until he wears himself out, and he's just a kid, and. At least I'm not meeting the craziness with craziness, Uh you know? So I guess Mm -hmm. if like those two extremes, if I had to pick one of those two extremes, like do I respond to the chaos with chaos or do I respond to the chaos with, by leaving my body? I'd rather leave my body. Yeah. I think.
1: I totally understand that. Yeah. And it could look like even if you were actually dissociated in reality, it could totally look to others like an intentional, boundary detachment exactly <laughs> yeah.
2: exactly but in fact you're totally dissociated yeah, yeah. and numb. you're numbed out <laughs> totally numb yeah yeah oh man
1: so oh, what was would, so horrible how would you spike like what would your spiraling look like after
2: the where would I you guess go spiraling I, honestly I, I i'm pretty good for the most part about as far as like caring what people think, I mean, I'm human. So obviously that's not across the board, you know, but it's, it's like, I care about certain things and not other things, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I also care about like cert- what certain people think of me and not like what necessarily the masses think of me. So like thinking about freaking out at the Americana, like fuck all those people. I don't care about any of them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't care yeah. if they are judging my parenting. I don't, I just don't care, you know? Um, So I would care about like, did I damage my child? Like that's my shame spiral would be like, oh my God, did I damage my child? Are they scared of me now? Mm -hmm. Like, did I just like create, like now I, did I set a sort of precedent that's going to shift things for me and him that I have to be really intentional about doing, you know, I just being like a good mother, like to my, whatever that means to me, my standards of good parenting, you know, not, not having like fulfilled that after having taken those nonviolent fucking parenting workshops at the preschool and everything. Yeah. Wow. That's so great that you did that. We have to. (laughs) to (laughs) (laughs) That makes me feel better. We had to, it was, it was the preschool because it was a co-op preschool. So all the parents were like in the yard, like basically the doing the childcare. So we all had to be on the same page as far as like what our practice was. And this was a preschool that had a practice of nonviolent communication, but I really appreciate it. it Cause it, it was really cool. Cause it helps you understand about like deregulation and how to re how to re regulate. And when a kid goes offline and brain development and stuff that I'm actually really interested in. Um, and it's helpful. I made mm-hmm. TJ, my husband take one of the online workshops because, so we were on the same page as far as like, this is, this is my philosophy. This is how I've always, you know, aimed to, deal with Addy cuz he just came into it, you know. Yeah. In his 30s never having been around a child in his life and been like yeah. what the fuck.
1: That's really amazing.
2: Yeah. He's feel- the best. He was like, "Yes, I will take I want to know, you know, he wanted to know
1: oh,
2: what so to great. do." Mm-hmm.
1: I Feel like I should take a workshop or something. I I admittedly, I've been kind of like when I was pregnant, I didn't read any books about pregnancy or birth. Like I showed up to the hospital and they were kind of like What's your plan? And I was like, I don't just, I don't know. Like, dude, just get, get them <laughs> Get the out. baby out of me? Yeah. I Did was you just, have a doula? I had, I had a doula, but, and she had some, but I just am not the kind of person that, part of it's my ADHD, but I'm, I'm just not. It's like, I want to be a person who reads all those books, but I'm just not. I can't get it together. And I just, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be like, this is going to go how it's going to go. And I thought, that once I had my kids, I would start reading some parenting books or something. But I am just They're raw-dogging. fucking boring. I am raw dogging parenthood. I have not read a single <laughs> book.
2: I'm just they're figuring boring. it out. <laughs> they're boring. Uh, they're really boring. They're boringly written. And I had um, at the preschool, we were given like assignments sort of like in books that we were supposed to read. and And I never read them either because they're boring. Okay. But, and a lot, I don't know. I don't find them as helpful as you think that you would. I mean, the nonviolent parenting classes were actually helpful because they talked about brain development. This person, you know, who was teaching the class has kids and she would talk about ways that she had, you know, related to her kids during difficult moments. And so, like, that was helpful. Hearing other people's stories, I think, is always ha- more helpful than just like reading a, a book by an expert. And I feel like a lot of those books are kind of bullshit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, that's what you think. But yeah. Yeah. I remember there was this like book that came out that was like somebody I knew had their friend had written it. So like this friend of mine was like pushing this, pushing this book on people, not pushing it on people being like, yeah, my friend wrote this book about parenting. And I think it was something about like never telling your kid that they're doing a good job or something like that, or, or like never saying like, be careful. Cause then like saying that, and it was just like all these like parenting books that have all these like rules, like never do that never always do this. I just feel like I don't yeah. trust them. That's not like either. life isn't like that. No.
1: And you have to figure out what works for you. And that kids are not, you can't expect yourself to never say you did a great job with that painting. I love it because you're worried that that's going to mean that they're internalizing that there's a good way to make art and there's a bad way to make art and that you did it the right way. Like that is, I think it's good to be intentional about that kind of thing. Like I did respond. I read one article. I am able to sometimes read articles because of my (laughs) attention span. That's suited for me. But it was like, if you're commenting on your kids art, say something like, like notice the choices that they made and ask questions about the choices. And so I, I really like that. So I do stuff like that. Like, I'm like, wow, what made you decide to like, what made you feel moved to make the rainbow in that way? And, you know, that feels cool. I like that.
2: That is cool because then you're having more of a conversation and you're teaching them how to talk about their art. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously there are like good practices to have, but I just feel like there's so many parenting books. I just don't think you're missing anything by not reading them.
1: That's helpful. You're really taking care of my shame in this moment. I appreciate that, <laughs> and I feel ashamed of it. Um. <laughs> um. I, yeah, I think I. I actually feel more inclined toward. I think I would spiral more. I would spiral about both. But I would definitely spiral about doing nothing, like if I was dissociated, because I think I would I think it touches on something for me about not having good boundaries or being an incapable parent. Like it's my job to wrangle this person to not destruct property or inconvenience other people and I've failed at that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, which now that I'm saying that out loud, I think it has something to do about something to do with hurting other people. Like they, those people didn't consent to have my kid fuck with their experience and some kind mm-hmm. of responsibility. It's I think it's a little codependent. It's not good. Whatever is coming up for me about <laughs> this is not good.
0: Mm. But also,
1: when I yell at my kids, I feel so bad. Like I if there's even a hint of like fear in their eyes like i really connected to what you said about that i have such a process about it after i'm like oh yeah. my god this is the last thing i ever wanted to happen to have my kids restrict like learn to restrict themselves out of fear that's that's terrifying
2: yeah yeah it is it it well it's really there's something really intense about seeing the real impact that you have on kids you know like yeah. i I'm, I'm pretty good about not yelling or raising my voice, but I do like, my kid is a wildling, right? And he can just be really, when he gets really excitable, like if we have a visitor, if like, if his cousin who he's obsessed with comes over, he's like, just like really, really high energy. And that comes out sometimes in him being acting like a little bit like a dick. Like he'll just be like, just rude, you know, and saying like rude things or being like super loud all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just be like, daddy. you know, just being like, like look, giving him a look, you know, And I've caught him a few times when we were in those scenarios, like saying something or expressing something and then looking at me, like, am I gonna, am I gonna like scold him or like, you know, like control it? And I was like, oh God, like, what have I done? Like, he can't be natural. But that's what I'm trying to do, right? Is control his natural (laughs) impulses because his natural impulse is to be rude and scream, right? So I am trying to kind of like teach him how to bring it down. And I'm not like, I guess, I mean, I don't yell. I don't threaten. I don't like pound the table. I am I really am just like, hey, cut it out, you know? Um. So it's like, I don't know how much more gentle I could be, but to still see that it has this effect where he's looking like I'm going to hit him or something. It's like wild. I'm like, why are you flinching at me? Oh, God. It's awful. It's and really- it's always like, you're yelling at me. And I'm like, you actually have never been yelled at. No adult in your life has ever fucking yelled at you. So like, I really like it sometimes, like if we're at Disneyland or the mall, um, we were at like a water park outside Sacramento this summer. And there was this, this mom in front of us who just was losing her shit with her kids. And I was like, see that, see that, <laughs> that mom is yelling. That's a mom that's yelling. I've never talked to you like that. Like I have to show him because like he doesn't, you know, his re- he only knows what he knows. So if I say something in like a stern voice, he's like, you're yelling. And I'm like, no, no girl. I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> oh my God. What a tender flower. <laughs> So that's I know. I'm raising a tender flower. It's fine. Worse. And yeah. No, it's good. It's to be gotta a be tender flower.
1: I wish I I haven't. I grew up with yelling. Like I'm from a yelling family. My partner yells. We really try not to yell, but when we're not at our best, we yell. And one of the ways I'm trying to feel okay about it is I actively am trying not to raise my voice. And when I do raise my voice, I'm not saying really horrible things. But also, I'm really into apologizing <laughs> to her because, you know, I don't feel like we grew up with a lot of adults apologizing.
2: Like and never. Never,
1: right? Like in any context, any time there was a power differential between child and adult in like the 80s and 90s, no one was apologizing to the child. Fuck no, no. Never. So I'm a big apologizer and I like to be like, I really own what I did and like, the impact it might've had. And I want her to know that I see that and that it's okay to apologize when you fuck
2: up. That's really important. That's really huge. Like you are absolutely modeling that by doing that. That's what I hope. No, yeah. you are. You really are. I do the same thing. I do the same thing with Addy and I, I sort of get into the, when, when I realize I have to do that, I'm like, Oh great. You know, because it is, I feel like it is like showing him something, you know? And yesterday he, he was getting really stressed out about his math homework re- and, and just like really tight. And he started snapping at me and he was just like, really, you know, he was just super aggro and I, I stayed pretty calm. I, I, and, and, you know, we just sort of like, I just ended up having to walk away cause he was like, just go away from me. And I was just like, fine, you know, and I went away. And then later he came and he's like, I have two things to say. One, I'm sorry that I got upset at you. He's seven. That's amazing. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Thank you so much." Like, it's really understandable to to, you know, when you get so frustrated, it makes people snap, you know, even adults. It happens even to adults, you know, and it's so amazing that you know to apologize for it. A lot of adults don't know to apologize for it. Yeah. So I was really impressed. The second thing was, "Can we start decorating for Halloween?" It's what? it's September 14th. Are you going to do it? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get on that. I mean, the stores have started, so I guess we'll follow their lead. It's so sweet
1: when they apologize. And it's so sweet. I, I think you're right. Like we should feel good about having, they would not know to do that if we hadn't modeled it. Mm-hmm. And Oh my God, the other day, my daughter who's only four. She had wanted, she always, I have this like little heart with a fire thing. Like a, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's a little art piece that's like heart with fire behind it. A mentor of mine years ago gave it to me after I did this performance and it's meaningful to me. So I have it in my office and Goldie loves it and she always wants it and I let her sleep with it sometimes. Oh. But then I, I'm, tr- I have boundaries about very few things as a parent, but I have boundaries about that because she always wants to keep it forever. And I'm like, it's my, it's mine. You can always use it, but then I want it back. <laughs> And um she recently she took it and then she like hid it somewhere and like tried to keep it and then she she gave it back and then she came up to me later and she was like, Mommy, um I'm sorry that I took your heart and that I I tried to keep it forever.
2: (laughs) I was like, Oh my god! That's so sweet. (laughs) I know. She apologized and she let you know what her master plan was. Yeah. She was going to keep it forever. She tried to keep she it totally forever. She totally came clean. I know. It oh, it's really so
1: sweet. Oh my God. It made me feel so much. Okay. Let's do the last question. Okay. Okay. So what would make you spiral more? Okay. Realizing at a social gathering that you are feeling embarrassed by your partner or... <laughs> Or realizing at a social gathering that they're feeling embarrassed by you.
2: I would spiral more realizing that I was embarrassed by my partner. Mm -hmm. Tell me why that's that's, well. um, I think it's like my Aquarian sort of like life philosophy gets challenged in a lot of different ways by that scenario. Like if they were embarrassed by me, I would just be like. I feel like I have like the op sometimes I realize I I I think I have the opposite of low self-esteem, which is Not normal self-esteem. It's abnormally (laughs) high self-esteem and that's not good either. Do you know what? I mean? It's still delusional and it's it's just like different There's some grandiosity. Yeah, it's differently problematic, right? Uh, uh, uh. Um, definitely so I would just be like You're embarrassing me. Fuck you, you know, I would just sort of like that about it Yeah, but if I realized I was embarrassed by them then I would feel the shame of the embarrassment and then I would feel shame that I was embarrassed by them because I also would feel like everyone gets to be who they are and like they want to be that way be that way you know what I mean like be free like if they're being cringy I guess if they're being like an asshole if they're being rude um I don't know then I would just be like If I, I if I was feeling embarrassed, I would just be like, oh my God, now I'm being codependent. Like it's, it's not like they get to stand on their own two feet. Like they're accountable for what they do. I'm not accountable for what they do, you know? So it would just be a morass. You know what I mean? Like there'd be like so many like different, like rippling swirls of shame just like happening in my body that it would feel terrible. I feel like the other scenario, I would just be like, bye and walk away and smoke a cigarette. It's like a smoother, it's like a more direct, like, I know, you know, yeah. it's like one strand of emotion, whereas the other yeah. one is just like a tangle of emotions.
0: Yeah. And in that former
1: one, it sounds like because you have a healthy self esteem potentially inflated,
2: but good. Possibly, <laughs> arguably. <laughs>
1: you, you kind of, it sounds like, you know, at your core that you have nothing to be ashamed of. Like you don't need to be, ashamed of however you're being at a party. So it would be like that. That's part of, I imagine why you would feel comfortably situated and being able to just be like, fuck this. Like I'm taking a break from you. Like, this is not okay. Yeah. But then I think the, so. You feeling like you're having a feeling that is actually not in alignment with the kind of person you want to be. That would be, yeah. that would spin you out.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that I feel the exact same way. If really? Kid,
1: Oh yeah. I would get so, um, I would feel so angry if I noticed that Basil was feeling embarrassed by me. Like I'd just be like, (laughs) fuck you, dude. I'm doing me. You are such an unsupportive partner. (laughs) And then I would just be super cold. And then, um, but if I noticed that feeling in myself, I would, I would be like, I, this is reflective of how I'm, a bad person or not the kind of person I want
2: to be. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like it ultimately wouldn't even be about them. Even though I was, Absolutely. even though I'm feeling the cringe on their behalf, it's not really about them. It's, it's all about me.
1: It's so interesting though, because the whole, the frequency with which as people we feel ashamed of just our own thoughts and feelings, like even if you had that thought or feeling and you didn't do anything about it, Like, even if I behaved the way I wanted to, but I was still having that thought feeling, I think I would still feel bad about it, which in a way is really crazy because it's like, it's just a thought, like you're just having a moment of feeling embarrassed. That's like, that's not awesome, but it's, it's okay. It's It's just really
2: human. Right. It's not a big deal. It's like our minds just pump out thoughts. Yeah. We don't have real control over them. No. You know? So it's just really about, like, what you do with the thoughts, right? Yeah. We have
1: so, zero. We have zero control over our thoughts. Zero
2: control. Zero control <gasps> over the thoughts. But, like, 100% control over, like, what we do with them, how yeah. we analyze them, like, mm-hmm. the thought that comes after the thought, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. 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 Definitely the behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the behavior.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So that that was the shame game. Thank you for playing. <laughs> Um, oh God. I'm curious about your relationship to shame and like how often you're prone to shame spiraling and, you know, is it really different now than, than from when you were a kid or a young person like you got adults?
2: I think that, um, I think that there's something about like when I was young, young, younger, you know, um, I didn't necessarily, I feel like I was almost a little too oblivious to know, to be ashamed of a certain, of, of certain things like, mm-hmm. I just didn't necessarily know how to act or how to be. So I didn't know if I was acting or being incorrect. Um, if that, I don't know if that makes sense. And then when I started, like I was, I, I kind of went gothy, punky, kind of like, I don't know, like in my early teens and just mm-hmm. got, ex- you know, progressively more goth, goth, punk, whatever I was. And so with that came like a real critique of like society around me. And so I really didn't, obviously I cared what like my peers were my other, my, my other gothy, punky freaks. Like those are the people whose opinion I cared about. Right. Um, I didn't care about all the people who were like judging me and like saying weird stuff to me. So my concept of shame got kind of, it was kind of weird, right? Like my, my family that i went home to after school you know every day or whatever were totally ashamed of me (laughs) because i looked like such a freak and everyone in my small town in the 80s when there wasn't like punk hadn't gone mainstream goth hadn't gone mainstream every day was not halloween like it was really weird what i looked like was really weird and scary to my mother and there was no um she didn't understand why I wanted to look the way I did. And she didn't know what to tell all the people who were like, why does your daughter look like that? So they were ashamed of me. And so it was like this really weird experience of just like, well, I'm not ashamed of me. I'm ashamed of you guys because you guys are so like small minded and petty and like, Mm -hmm. you're also like racist and have just like bad (laughs) views on humanity. And like, so it's like, of course you like, I'm your only, I'm like your fucking daughter and you can't like have my back, you know, because I want to, pin a bat a rubber bat to my shirt when I go to high school you know so I don't know it was it was it's like it's very interesting right like I I think a lot of shame it's it's, it's so cultural right and like my culture was was like a. a I, my culture was very subcultural mm-hmm. so I it's, don't know I get yeah I guess like the shame I would experience the, like when I was when I was a teenager like things that I thought were shameful were maybe like selling out you know, that would be kind of shameful, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And then when I, and then I was queer in the nineties, you know, when I came out as queer, I just, you know, I remember writing about this, like in my first book that I'm just like, I had this revelation that like, if you are ashamed of things, ashamed, if you have shame, you're giving other people a target with which to hurt you. Mm. Right. And if you are just like kind of shameless, that is like this amazing, untouchable stance. That people can't be like, you know, if you're not ashamed of being queer and people are like, you're fucking queer. You're like, yeah, you know, and you can apply that to anything, being poor, having been a sex worker, being slutty, whatever, being a weirdo, um, having ripped clothes, like, you know, all the, all these things, if you can just own them without shame, then they don't have power over you. And the people who judge you also don't have power over you. So I thought I really figured something out. Right there. Totally And I did. did, but shame is also very like insidious, you know, and like, as long, I feel like as, as long as you have like a self, any kind of a self image or self or, like an, any kind of ego, which we all do, um, like a, a suite of values that you want to, that you believe that you like uphold or, you know, pledge to, then, then you have places where you can be ashamed because you'll fail inevitably.
1: Oh man. Okay. First of all, I think it's really amazing that you as a kid were able to not take on the shame that was being directed toward you from the adults in your life. I mean, Mm -hmm. you said that so casually, but that's so hard for many people. And why do you think you were able to do that and like come to this really powerful revelation about what you wanted your relationship to shame to shame to look like?
2: I mean, I honestly, I I think it might be astrological. I mean, I'm an Aquarius sun and my Mercury is an Aquarius. So my mental, I'm, I'm very mental and analytical and my mental processes tend to be a little bit like out there and very, very humanistic. And so I just saw that the way they were, didn't make sense and wasn't kind. And it's really funny because it's like, you know, I think, I think everybody I don't know. I I could see the hypocrisy in my, in my parents and in my culture where like I went to a Catholic school and everything was just about like love and, and, you know, kindness, but like people were super racist and just like shitty to other people. And so I was just like, I was just like, I felt, I felt early on, like I was smarter than the adults around me Mm -hmm. and that I could see things that they couldn't see. And so I think that helped me. Um, And, you know, also probably wounded me in different ways as well, you know, to, to have that vision. But, um, but yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know why I believed in myself so much, but I did. I, I really believed in like, I also really believed in subculture. Like I believed in like punk or goth or whatever. Like I believed in this culture of people who just like went against the grain and did what they wanted and formed, you know, like historical alliances and, Created amazing art like that, you know. The minute I kind of found out that that this world of like music and art and like living existed, I was kind of mentally all about it and just like biding mm-hmm. my time till I could like get out of where I was and be part of that larger world. So I really, I believed in this thing, you know. Yeah. I believed in rock and roll. No, but you really did. though, you know, I did, and the, and I saw my values reflected in that area, yeah. right and that was super helpful to me cuz i didn't want to be like my mom or the people i saw around me i didn't yeah. want their life i didn't want to wear their clothes i didn't want to think their thoughts i didn't like any of the things that they liked culturally but mm-hmm. i wanted to be like these other people um and i felt like i already was like them and i just needed to find yeah. them so i think that having that subcultural like you know touchstone even though you know it, it took me a, there was a gap between getting to meet other people like myself and just knowing they existed, it, yeah. kept, it, it was helpful to me.
1: Totally. That was just making me think about how fundamental community is for young people. Yeah. And that it really you were able to find that strength because through community. And if, not that you wouldn't have gotten there anyway, but so much fucking harder if you were trying to really own what you knew to be true, but without having it reflected around you at all.
2: Yeah, And I mean, that, that has to have been that the case for so many millions of people and that must be so, so, so hard, you know? And so I'm really, I'm grateful for MTV and (laughs) cream magazine and, you know, star hits and all those like things from the, from the eighties that kept me going. Um, Totally. And then when I was in ninth grade, I became best friends with another total weirdo and we went goth together and our whole school turned against us all the all the girls in our class was a catholic italian catholic school st rose in chelsea massachusetts all the girls wanted to kick our ass they either were actively trying to murder us or they were so scared they were nice but they were so scared they're like sucks to be you um but i'm not gonna i'm not part of this and yeah yeah. and the teachers like the nuns and the teachers also hated us because they were like why are you causing a distraction by looking like this? Like yeah. it, just, you know, victim blame me. Yeah. But we had each other and we believed in each other so hard, you know, and in the larger, you know, you know, subculture we pledged ourselves to that, that we got through it. That's so
1: beautiful. You know, I've, I just love so much what you were saying about th- this epiphany you had about shame and how I can really see the through line of that in your career i mean the shamelessness i feel like it's really carried you i mean among many other things but you i remember when i first read i think your first book which was way before we had ever met and that energy of shamelessness in the in the most positive way that that can mean was so vivid and present and it was really powerful for me as a young queer person I love that. It really was. And, and I feel like you are someone who I so admire how you put yourself in your work and are so you're just not, yeah, you're not ashamed to tell the full story in a really in a vulnerable, raw, very humanly messy way. And it's so awesome. I mean, it's just so beautiful that the way that you're able to do that. And then of course, so artfully and all about.
2: Thank you, yeah, I'm always pushing myself. I mean, I definitely come up against topics or you know things that i that I do feel shame about, like being like, "Oh God, can I say that? like can I write that? Do I mm-hmm. want to put that into the world? you know mm-hmm. um, and so it's active, you know, it's like an active practice of like confronting that, so there's this religious sect. Um, in India, called the Aguri. It's like A G H O U R I, I think. And their belief is that that nothing in this world is gross or bad or wrong. Ooh. Nothing, including everything that culturally we would agree is gross and bad and wrong. It's just this bringing in of everything, and they'll do really like gross things, like pick snatch a piece of skin off a corpse and eat it, or like just like things that really scare people, and they. Beg for alms with like little like, an, in like an infant skull will be like what they're asking for donations with, or the, and they have instruments made of like human bones and stuff like that. And I don't know of a lot of other like spiritual paths that are about taking in everything
1: mm-hmm.
2: on the planet without shame and going beyond the dualistic like good or good or evil sort of thing. I don't know that and there's you know arguably we don't need that on this planet right Argu- arguably mm-hmm. that's like really problematic like i'm not but there's something about it that also really fascinates me yeah you know yes and it makes me think of like the um the prelude to um with the prelude to Howell, allen ginsberg prelude when he's like basically saying that everything is holy right yeah yes so totally. it's like these are the kind of energies that i really i feel very fascinated by you know
1: i love that i connect to that i mean yes like that if you, when you really unravel that, there's elements that could be problematic.
2: Oh, but there, of course. Yeah. But there's definitely
1: something appealing to me about having that stance toward humanity and society. And I think, I mean, this isn't like a new thought or anything, but I think a lot about the way that denying the really complicated elements of the things that we feel and think and do just is the cause of so much agony and terrible, actually harmful behavior. Like, whereas if people really own their shittiness or just complexity, you know, it's, I think it comes out less because if you're, if you're keeping it in a cage, like it's so much more likely to burst out in a way that's actually more harmful to people.
2: I think so too. It's almost like if there wasn't this pressure to be like good, yes. then we could just accept that we're not good. Exactly. And then when we do something that isn't good, it's like we can just look at it and be like, oh, that wasn't good. Yeah. Like that wasn't a great one. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am going to try not to do that again. Yeah. It you know? doesn't mean I yeah. failed as a human being. You know? Right. Yeah. It's not yeah. like the definition of who you are. Yeah,
1: Right.
2: right. Um, do you saw- watch that TV show, Barry? You know,
1: I do, but
2: I'm so behind. I'm in the second season now. I'm pretty behind too. I love it though. I love it so much. And there's yeah. a lot like this, that this central question is really up in this like second season of just like, am I a bad person? You know, am I defined by the things that I've done?
1: I could absorb art when it's well done about, am I a bad person all day? say. <laughs>
2: <Every> <laughs> And it was really well done. Like the episode I just watched, I literally, I mean, it was the first day of my period, but still I was like crying during this like revelatory moment. And Bill Hader's face is so intense. I love looking at his intense face. It's like a cartoon. Yeah, I
1: love Bill Hader. Me too. I I very rarely have crushes on men, but he's, I have a
2: little crush on Bill Hader. You do. That's so cute. He's crushable. I think he's very crushable. There's
1: something, there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth inside those
2: eyes yes yes so much I yes agree. um all right
1: i have so many things i want to ask you but we're not gonna
2: have time for all of them so let me wait for a second <laughs> there's no end to shame i can come back later there's no end i'll have possibly even more new okay. new new moments of shame to talk about
1: <laughs> okay here's here's <laughs> here's a fun one this is something i'm only asking people that i'm interviewing where there we have a relationship <laughs> oh great <so. laughs> So I've only gotten to ask it one other time so far. Oh my God. So, I mean, nothing might come to mind. And until recently, like it's been like 10 years since you and I have hung out regularly. Mm -hmm. But for a while, we did used to hang out a lot. is there anything between you and me that ever happened, any moment
2: that ever made you
1: spiral a little bit?
2: (sighs) Oh, that's so interesting. I can't believe you're asking people this. I know, isn't that? I'm crazy. I'm crazy, there Michelle. There is, though. This is so <gasps> interesting. Oh, I'm so excited to hear it. <laughs> okay. okay. So do you remember how, okay, it was when you had moved out of San Francisco. I was still in San Francisco. And I, and you came to visit and we met up for coffee. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was sick. I don't that know if you remember sounds that. Sounds familiar. I was sick and I knew I was sick, but I really wanted to see you. Um and I didn't realize how sick I was I mm. think until I was out in the world, you know, and sitting with you and I just felt like I was like not even myself. Mm. And I remember just feeling like I don't know like I couldn't it's like my personality was was like uh, up. Like I was like trying to jump up and like, reach my personality so that I could like interact in a way that felt good and normal and like connected. And I couldn't hit it, and it made me just feel really weird and like dissociated. Mm-hmm. And I ended up just feeling like like we had such a weird hangout, and it was my fault. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I sh- and I spiraled about it a little bit. Oh, it's so sad that that you
1: felt like you had to perform wellness or regular Michelle
2: that's really true, huh? Which does make sense because it's not like you
1: and I are best friends where you can just show up and be like, I'm so sick. I'm not, I'm just at like a 10, right? A 10 out of a hundred right now and don't expect totally. anything from me.
2: We, we weren't at that level. Right. So, I mean, I think we, we would have gotten to that level if you had stayed in San Francisco yeah, like we were getting so. closer and closer and then yeah. you left. And I was like, what do you mean you're leaving? Like you're about to be my best friend. I don't oh, understand. But um, But yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I wanted to just like, Show up for the conversation, you know, I know I get
1: it and I like don't didn't live there anymore And I I I totally relate to why that would make you spiral even though I was just also just to hear it now. I was totally just happy to see you And I was like really grateful that you made the time. I didn't care that you were sick and not like
2: full michelle That makes so much sense because that's how I would feel towards anybody right but it's that weird thing where like the standards that we have for ourselves are like not standards yeah, they're like so much harsher than standards we would have for anybody. Else oh my god, so true in our lives.
1: I'm gonna really quickly share mine with you, and then and then we're gonna. I'm gonna hear your story before we run out of time. Okay. So, um, mine is just I took you to a solstice party in Northern California. Yeah. Do you remember? And it, there was I a,
2: could never forget. <laughs> it was a peak moment of my life. Yeah, <laughs> and there was a talent show, and you and there I sure was. had not planned it. And then we were trying to figure
1: out what to do. And I suggested that we play and sing on my acoustic guitar, some whole song. Like, I think it was Violet or something like that, or Doll Parts, some old whole song. And you were like, that makes me feel really bad in my body when I think about it. (laughs) <laughs> which I thought was so funny on one hand, but then I had a little spiral about like that is so accurate. What is wrong with me that I was <laughs> wanting to humiliate the two of us in this way? And that's my, that's my. And let's move on. That's all. We don't have time to process. It. We can but talk wait, about we it ended later. up doing
2: the best. We ended up doing the best act. It was a good act. Which we sang a song that you had written
0: about, about an orange cat. About on an orange your, cat. On the rainbow residency,
2: yeah, that we we met this orange cat, and that then our friends had had taken it home, and yeah. everyone loved this cat, and we re- we sang the song about the orange cat, and
1: people. I have to say, it was very well received. People liked it.
2: Yeah, it was they great. Did. It was a they great did. song. <laughs> and like, what was what was my fucking problem? Why didn't I sing Violet or Doll Parts, well, are like some of my favorite songs? I would sing it at karaoke. I know, but I get why it was
1: embarrassing. Like, I think
2: it was like, I don't
1: know. It it wasn't cool. It wasn't a cool thing to do. It wasn't
2: but like I know and I hate that part of myself that does want to be cool There is a part of me that wants to be cool. Oh I guess it's
1: just human god.
2: It's human and
1: michelle. That is the truth That's the thing I didn't say just two minutes ago is in that moment. I think I was like, oh my god Michelle has seen the truth, which is that
2: I'm not cool.
1: I'm like, but like none of us are
2: it's a facade I It's know. a facade and you're like, oh that might crack. I'm sorry If I sang whole, that might crack my cool facade. You know what I mean? It is a fucking facade. (laughs) Well, it is also,
1: I think, more vulnerable for you in that moment because you are a known public presence, especially in San Francisco more than anywhere. At least at that time at least. And I feel then you weren't just gonna sing it, you were gonna be Michelle T in a party of strangers. Who know you, though, singing a whole Right, song. they know
2: me and I don't know them. Exactly. That's... And you know everybody. You had this great comfort level with everyone because you've been going to this whole exactly. party for so long. I didn't give a shit, so, but it makes sense yeah. that you gave a shit. Okay, I did give a shit, but Michelle, it makes so, so much sense. Oh, shame of
1: the shame. shame, 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 shame,
2: shame. shame, shame. <laughs> then you have shame about the shame, right? It's like so awful. Shame is so like self-replicating. It's like a fractal, shame fractal. It is
1: so true. Okay, tell, so I asked you to bring a story of a time that you shame spiraled in your past. We've chatted so much that I want to respect your time boundaries, so you can truncate it if you need to. But tell tell me the story.
2: It's so weird because there's so many moments, right? There's so many, so many embarrassing moments. And for some reason, this is the thing that popped into my mind immediately on thinking like, oh, I have to think of some, share something that happened that I, I'm ashamed of. And it was that. And then I'm just like, but this is so weird and random. Like, is there something better, more interesting, more, I don't know. I'm just like, whatever, just share this one. Cause it's the one that came up immediately, bring it to your therapist friend and she can maybe give you some information <laughs> about it. But okay. So when I was like 15, I was in love with this boy. He was older than me. He was, like, 18 or 19. I was 15. And he worked at this really cool store in Boston that was called Goods. And um, – oh, God, I should change people's names. Sleep out his name. We'll call him something else. Wait. We'll call Okay. Him. Okay. So he worked in this really, really cool store that sold, like – Pins and stickers like scratch and sniff sticker stickers and weird pieces of art and it was just like was like It was in faneuil hall, which is like a tourist hell in boston But this was like this oasis of love legit coolness and everyone who worked there was cool And me and my best friend Um would go into this store and we became friends with all the guys that worked there I was thinking of this too about how like there was there was like this There was one woman who worked there and she just must have fucking hated us because we came in 15, 16 years old in our fucking Catholic school uniforms and our goth makeup and all of these dudes who were older were just, would just fawn over us. And we, it's not like we thought that that was what was happening, but I can see now that that was what was happening. Like we just thought we were making friends and we thought these guys were so cool. they have been in bands, they were in bands. They looked really weird and freaky. This was during a time That me and my friend had just started looking weird and freaky and we were getting so much shit for it We were about to get kicked out of our school really because of our hair and fighting with our parents And so it was like this oasis and I was like in love with this guy and this is a whole problematic side Side note his roommate was older than him. His roommate was 30 and was carrying on with my best friend So there was this yeah, there's this whole uh, and that's just like another that's a whole other show um (laughs) Or a few other shows. But me and my best friend were obsessed with these guys. And um, and I remember one we one day we'd she'd stayed at my house and we stayed up all night. We pulled an all nighter. Um, and we were like, Oh my God, let's go visit these two guys. Let's get on the bus and go all the way, you know, into Cambridge at six o'clock in the morning where we know they'll be home and we'll bring them donuts and we'll be like, Oh my God, hi, we're here at your house at the (laughs) crack of dawn with donuts, which I was so (laughs) wild and funny. So we did and ended up what always happened when we went over their house, there was no common space in their apartment. It was just like a, it was like a two bedroom, no common space. And so I would go into the room of the guy that I was really into. My friend, my best friend would go into this older guy's room. And then we'd just be like in there fooling around until we left. So I was in, I was in the room with my guy fooling around with him. I really liked him so much. I, and I stand, I I think he's actually a great person. I stand by it. Um, and he, um, what happened? So I hadn't slept, right? I had pulled an all nighter. I've been awake for over 24 hours now. So I'm sure you've done this in your life and you, um, it was almost like, dreams were coming in and out. It was mm. like I was losing touch with reality in this weird way, especially because I was laying on his futon with him. We were making out. And it was almost like I was falling asleep while making out with him, but like mm-hmm. still awake. Yeah, And I was in this weird state. So meanwhile, in my life, there's this guy who is also just like just graduated high school and his name, I'm just gonna say it, his name is Jazz. It's not his real name. He just was called, called that. His name was Jazz. Jazz was obsessed with my best friend and trying to go out with her. And we like didn't know how we felt about jazz. We hung out with him sometimes. Cause like we were passive teenage girls and he had a car. And then sometimes we were just like, we got to stop hanging out with jazz. So jazz was just a person who was around. And I think we'd mentioned him before to these other guys. So like everyone knew that he was like a character in our lives. Um, and so for some reason I fell into sort of a dream while I was making out with, with this guy that I was so crushed out on and in my dream, like jazz was in my dream. And as I was making out with this guy, I said, jazz, <gasps> And it was so awkward. And I felt this bolt of like terror and shame and it gets worse in order. Yeah, it gets, it gets a lot worse in (laughs) order to sort of try to play it off. Like that hadn't happened.
0: I'm so scared
2: about where this is going. (laughs) It's very scary. It's, ter- it's terrifying. But, but you're really affirming like why this has stuck with me for so long to see how scared you are. So I'm like, okay, yeah. this isn't real. This was actually a horrible experience. Totally. Um, so I thought, I, I thought fast thinking for somebody who's been awake for like 30 hours um, that the word yes sounds a little <laughs> bit like the word jazz. So I started saying, Yes, while we we're like fooling around the way that I thought, like, sexy people would be like, yes, yes, you know, like I was still a virgin. I like had only like, you know, groped and made out and stuff uh-huh. and dry humped. And so I'm like, so I'm trying to sort of make my first yeses sound sort of like jazz. So I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. No! And it was just like so horrible because first of all i'm sure he heard me say jazz clear as day of course second of all what what is all of a sudden i've turned into some sort of weird porn actress saying like yes yes (laughs) but like but like a queen i'm all yes yes (laughs) (laughs) this is so horrifying
1: and funny (laughs) <laughs> the, and then, the, oh my god, keep, it's going, so keep horrible.
2: going. It's so horrible. So that so this happens. And I at some point I decide, I guess I feel like I've said yes enough times that I've like, I've 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 like my ruse is complete, right? I've done I've done it. I've fixed the problem. And like we kind of stop fooling around. And this my guy just kind of rolls over. Sadly. He oh, just man. kind of sadly rolls over. And just like, you know, he just feels like really weird. And I'm just like, and, and I'm just like, my, my plan is just to act like nothing happened. Of like course. my plan is just to totally gaslight him and just like act like nothing happened. <laughs> and like, he's feeling sad. Like, why? Why would you be feeling sad? We just had a fun makeout. Like, what's wrong? You know? And so <sighs> just like petting his, he had this really long curly hair. It was like very like Michael Hutchins from In Excess in the 80s. Like uh-huh. he, he was so sexy. He had like really long curly hair and he wore lots of eyeliner. <sighs> And he was he was a, a sweet person. I remember coming in to visit him at the shop in Faneuil Hall the day that the spaceship blew up that had the all the astronauts on it, the Challenger. You know, yeah. the Challenger. The day yeah. the Challenger blew up, and he had just been crying about it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Oh my god, he's crying about the Challenger. He's so sexy. emotional <laughs> and deep and sexy. Yeah, he has access to his emotions. i so in yeah. love with him. You know, oh. and so yeah, so it was like this horrible. And then I just think we kind of like never really. Oh, God. That might have been kind of the end of it. It was very casual anyway. Like we weren't, he was never my boyfriend. You know, he was older than me. Like, you know, he was old enough. He was older than me by enough that. I, I think it was actually illegal technically, but it felt like, so, you know, I, I mean, I stand by 15, 18 and like, it just wasn't mm-hmm. a big deal you know, to teenagers. me. And I, and I, yeah. Yeah. You know, we were exactly, we were both teenagers. He was an older teenager, obviously he was living on his own and stuff like that, but he never, he was always so cool too. He was always like, if we ever are doing anything you're not comfortable with, please let me know and we can stop. Mm-hmm. Like he just was great. You know, He was like an, a dreamy ideal guy to fool around with and i would have loved for him to be like my boyfriend but like i didn't really know how to make that happen either and he was probably like i don't really necessarily want a 15 year old girlfriend who's living with her parents and going to chelsea to catholic school in chelsea yeah it's what it was what it was and it was very sweet um, for me for sure but then it just kind of faded away i
1: can totally imagine why that story has stayed with you and that last part especially because there was no repair you just had no repair with what you had done, which is so humiliating, and I so feel like, but the, the Yaz yes with the Z is what really sent me with that story, and because I can imagine an adolescence like you were being crafty, you thought quickly on your feet, you did what you could to find a solution. Oh my! God. But it's so—it's like, oh, I feel like part of the shame. What that what that story brings up for me, shame wise, just imagining being you having lived it, is that like I wasn't, I I would feel like I wouldn't have been able to just own that I had said this other person's name, and then instead created a whole narrative. Like you you went to a you were you were making a movie in your head, and then you were bringing it to life with this
2: whole story. I mean, you committed. I did commit. It's so embarrassing. I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to explain. I didn't understand why I said Jazz's name. It was really, now I understand that I was just like hallucinating from sleep deprivation. And I've had moments like that in my life since yeah. then from being a freaking drug addict and whatnot. Yeah, where you're course. just like, oh, I'm dreaming while I'm awake because I'm, I've been on speed for two days. You know, like I get what it was now, but I think that was the first time that that had happened to me. Yeah. Um, and he knew Jazz. Like. He knew of jazz. Okay. So he didn't, he, he, he knew when I said jazz, I wasn't like jazz, but it you know, <laughs> okay, like I wasn't yeah. talking about the music. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He probably knew that it was this person because we were trying to like figure out like how to kind of shake him a little bit because he was so obsessed with my friend okay. and we, we were like navigating this thing. Like he had like put his fist through a car window out of like angst for her. Mm-hmm. So there was like this we're like, jazz is a little out of control. What do we do? You know, like we talked yeah. about him a lot. It was like a drama in our life. And the drama was compounded by the fact that, that my friend was carrying on with this guy who was 30. Yeah. And I knew that if that got out, that would be a shit storm. Yeah. And that if jazz found out about that, jazz would do something about that. And so there was this whole, it was like a lot of drama, you know? And I got to mm-hmm. say, even though, I do stand by that my guy was really great. There is something I'm also like, and he totally just like chilled out while his 30-year-old roommate was yeah. messing around with the yeah. 15-year-old. That's not great. That's not great. It's in silent
1: collaborator territory.
2: It's, yeah, yeah, you know? totally, yeah. totally. And it, it is that total like, even though they were like, very faggoty in their appearance, both of them, you know, like it is that kind of weird code of masculinity of just like chicks or something. I don't know. Like they weren't bros, but yeah, clearly I don't know.
1: It's so relatable that you felt in that moment that you couldn't just have made a really embarrassing mistake and that you had to fix it with all of this pomp and circumstance. But it's also kind of actually fucked up that he allowed you to keep doing it without intervening.
2: Like, like he could have also been like, "Did you call me Jazz?" You know what I mean? Like, right? I know, but like he, I mean, you know, part of it is that like it was the eighties, and who knew how to talk about sex? You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. I mean, arguably, who even knows how to talk about sex today? You know? And we were both kind of teenagers, even though he was an older teen with more experience, presumably than me. Yeah. Um, I just felt like I would have had to convince him that like I wasn't attracted to jazz, oh, okay? And I wasn't, you know, like I really yeah. was not. Attra- I didn't have a crush on jazz. I was yeah. interested in jazz, but I was so I was confused why I said jazz while I was in the throes of breaking right. out with this person I was obsessed with. Like oh, I was god. really confused by everything, totally. And the, the whole time this was happening, we were listening to Depeche Mode "Black Celebration." Oh my god, <laughs> that's such and a just good to really set to the scene story. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you know that
2: makes me think
1: about just that. The ingrained protection of the male ego, because like it was so horrifying that you might have said the wrong name, that you had to do this whole freaking song and dance. That's
2: so true. God, you yeah. know, yeah, damn.
1: Michelle, thank you for telling that story. I love it. Oh, it's so funny. For receiving it so affirmingly. I, I, I mean, I laughed. I almost cried. I and I also felt so much heat in my body of secondhand embarrassment. I felt hot from head to toe. Um, okay. Two more really quick questions. Okay. Is there anything that made you spiral in this episode, just while we were talking, <laughs> or anything that you think once you're, like, once we hang up and you think about it later like, that you might start to spiral a little?
2: I don't think so. That's I don't awesome. think so. I mean, I've I have felt... Um, I don't know, like, what's the word? What's the word? Like, every, uh, like, I mean, we're talking about like really emotional, embarrassing things. So like, I'm, uh, I'm like a little heated or like, I'm feeling like I you know, I guess I'm not at a one anymore. I'm probably at like a three, but it's okay. You know, it's like, um, (laughs) I also activated. History, a I'm activated. That's the word. That's the word I was looking for. I'm yeah, like, I'm yeah. Triggered. What is the word? It's we say it with children activated. Yes, activated. Um, yes. I'm activated. Um, so I'm a little activated, but it feels fine. Um, and you know, also I have a weird thing where like anxiety, excitement, and like fear, they're like those wires get really oh, tangled yeah. in me you know, me too. sometimes to delightful effect. And sometimes it's just really confusing. So like, I'm like, Oh, I think I'm a little anxious, but I'm also like, this has been really fun to talk to you. so has been like exciting and fun. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I know. I feel like sometimes I, I'm compelled to do things that really scare me sort of constitutionally as a person, but, but sometimes I think it's because I just, I want to feel all of those wires get get sparked, you know, like I want to feel oh, really yeah. excited and freaked out because I love that feeling and it's dope. I love it
2: so much too. too. I love it so much. That's why I love going to Halloween haunts, mm-hmm. you know, it's why I love like BDSM and like, how much further can we take it? Like, I just, I love, like, I'm like, I want to feel that feeling, but also know that I'm not going to end up in a ditch, like have that core trust. <laughs> but then like, how close to the ditch can you get me though? You know, like yeah. that kind of a oh. vibe. I'm like, it's oh, so I wish really. the monster skeleton in the haunt would just like touch me. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're not allowed to, but I'm just like, oh, push my envelope, you know? I know. I. Well, yep. I. This
1: is so. This is why we're friends.
2: This is why we're friends. This I really feel like we're good. cut from the same cloth. You I know? think so too. Oh, I love when you, I Michelle. found out that you were on Lexapro. That's when I went and got Lexapro. Really? Because yeah, because I was like, I whatever, like like Ellie and me, we have the same constitution, we have the same nervous system. Mm-hmm. I was just like, whatever works for you is going to work for me. And it did. I'm
1: so glad I'm on
2: Zoloft now, but I
1: was on Lexapro for years.
2: Yeah. I'm on Effexor now, mm. but I was on, I was on Lexapro. Wow. How's Zoloft? I think I was on Zoloft when I was pregnant. That's what they give you when you're that's why That's why I'm on it now. Yeah. I
1: switched when I was pregnant. It's good. Yeah. I think it does the job. It's hard to tell. I mean, I think it's I know. been so long that I haven't been medicated for my anxiety. But the last time I went off it, it was really it was bad. So I, I just kind of feel like this is just maintenance. I'm not going off it ever again. Like I just can't do it. <laughs> Cannot do it.
2: I went off of mine like a almost like a year and a half ago, and at first it was it was great for a while, and then it was fucked up. Yep. And I also did it cold turkey effects or I didn't titrate, titrate, bleh, titrate off. And I had like physical symptoms that were really disturbing and it was
1: oh God, awful,
2: but awesome. I do want to go off of them so I can drink ayahuasca. I, I want to do that. Oh my God. I want
1: to talk to you about
2: that. I know. I mean, I've been waiting for sort of an invitation from the universe via, you know, via a human being. And I, and I got, I got one. I have a friend who who does it? And he's been doing it for a while. And then he just sort of, you know, extended it to me. And I was like, Oh, so I looked, I mean, it's, it would take me half a year to do, I mean, just to, just to, well, not half a year. It would take me, I'm thinking six months. It would take me like six weeks to get off of my meds, I think. Yeah. And in a, in a healthy way. And that's only if I can handle getting off my meds, right? Like if, if I can get off of them and it doesn't feel like if it doesn't fuck up my life yeah off of them.
1: ayahuasca that's brave I, I it really makes me think about what you were saying about shamelessness because like i would never do ayahuasca because of what i've heard about um public like puking? well no the puking spider me it's the like confronting your your biggest fear and your like your inner monster and then having to defeat it like in a way that's really appealing to me actually but also oh, it sounds so i'm, I'm like afraid no, to does. open that I, door
2: I do feel like it's a little bit of a like I- I'm going to I'm going into it in this way like I'm going to have like a mystical experience yeah. which to me means like what and then I'm going to be in it being like what the fuck did I think this was going to be and it's probably going to be you know what like when I'm getting a tattoo and I'm just like oh no why did I think I wanted this but then afterwards you're grateful for it right and yes. so I'm kind of hoping it's like a weird hanged man tarot card mm-hmm. like experience where everyone I know who has had the experience is grateful for it so I'm sort of taking something from that. Yeah. But I don't know, I don't know 100% if it's my path or not. I really yeah. don't. I've I've done a lot of like thinking about it and like I guess praying about it and tarot reading about it. And so I'm going I'm sort of very very snail's pace proceeding in that direction. Yeah. But I am worried about getting off my meds cuz it wasn't cool last time. That's but I true. also did it in a really fucked up way. So That's I'm true. open to the that it's maybe different, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know. Yeah, keep me posted. I will
1: it was so good to talk with you
2: michelle so fun oh my god when are you coming to la ever i used to come all the time before COVID.
1: oh although i do have a thing i can't talk about yet but that might
0: be getting set up in la so if that happens i will be in la and after we hang up the the call i'll tell you what it is
2: okay cool okay let's hang up (laughs) okay okay bye
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shame Spiral. You can follow the pod at PodShameSpiral on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the usual places. This episode was edited by myself and Sarah Gabrielli. And original music was by Shadwick Wild. Please keep listening and rate and review if you're feeling generous. I have so many exciting guests lined up for our season. Thank you again for joining us and spiral on, but not too much, okay?